You guys ready to roll? All right. Bless your hearts. We'll open your Bibles, if you would, to, uh, to two places. First of all, let's start with Isaiah 55. And, and then we'll go to Mark chapter 4. But I want to start in Isaiah 55. Um, I want to I address the, uh, <clears throat> the topic of, um, of, of transformation and, and, and give some biblical, I guess, principles on that. And uh, <clears throat> so I want to begin with Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, and then we'll go to Mark chapter 4. Isaiah 55, and then we'll go to Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> and, and so look at, look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Isaiah 55, verse 10. <clears throat> For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and, and bread to the eater. So, so that's a, that's a uh, in the natural... Rain and snow affect the earth in the natural. Rain and snow do something. It, it causes, it waters the earth and then produces a, a crop. There, there's, there's sprouts, there's seed, there's bread as a result in the natural of rain coming down and affecting the earth. And then from the natural to the spiritual, verse 11, so will my word, which goes forth from my mouth, look at this, it will not return to me empty. The word of God will always have an effect. It is impossible for the word not to have an effect. It is impossible. Our brother just said it. In, 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 in Genesis 1 verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering. Now, the word hovering means to brood, and it's a word taken from the idea of an of a, of a eagle that waits in anticipation for the eggs to, to hatch. There's an anticipation in the brooding. She's waiting with anticipation for what is to come. That's what you have in Genesis 1 verse 2. The Spirit is hovering over chaos, over chaos, a mess. You have energy that has not yet been put into motion or into direction, but yet the Spirit of the living God is right in that mess, waiting with anticipation for what? What is the Spirit waiting for? Verse 3, for God to release a word. And the moment God releases a word over that mess, everything that is chaotic becomes order because God speaks a word and the word cannot return void. It just can't. Which leads me to say, whenever you and I are standing in the midst of a mess, listen, gang, the word can take a mess and create order. <laughs> That's the power of the declared word. That's the power of what comes out of God's mouth. There is power in the word. The word never returns empty, never returns void. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 8, flowers and field pass away, but not the word. 
Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth passes away, but not the word. The word is living and active, Hebrews 4, 12. It was breathed into existence, 2 Timothy 3, 16. It is living and enduring, 1 Peter 1, 25. It's the imperishable seed, verse 23, that brought us all into life. That's the power of the word. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Don't you love the word? So see, when God speaks, oh my God, everything changes. See, we don't live by bread alone, Matthew 4, 4, but by every single word that proceeds out of God's mouth. I like to say, if we live by the declared word, we die in its absence. We've got to have the word because the word never returns void. Isaiah says the word, once it's launched, it's like the seed, man. It's, it's like this, this imperishable thing that goes out. It will not return void. And then he says this, without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. That's the power of the word. Now, guys, listen. What's that have to do with city transformation? Everything. Everything. Because you and I are sowing the imperishable seed in city transformation. We are sowing the imperishable seed. Now, we're going to tie this into Mark 4 in just a moment, but I want to show you something. The idea of sowing the imperishable seed is what captured a group of pastors in Almalonga, Guatemala. In the 70s, Almalonga, Guatemala was an area of about 20,000 people that was overrun with drugs, mostly alcohol, um, and, um, and, and occult worship. For 400 years, this area was just poverty-stricken. It was run down, and it was alcohol. So many people got drunk on the weekends, in fact. So many people got drunk on the weekends, they'd bring buses in, and they would sleep the hangover all in the buses because they couldn't fit them in the jails. A city of 20,000 people waylaid with just, just drinking and, and this type of a lifestyle and this occult-type worship. And so the pastors, just like you guys, churches got together and they said, wait a minute. Now, either the gospel has power or it doesn't. Either we're going to be ashamed of the gospel or, like Paul, we will not be ashamed of the gospel because it has power to bring about transformation. And so just a handful, listen, just a handful like you guys, guys and gals got together and they began to cry over how long their city. They began to say, wait a minute, this not on our watch, something has to change. And they began to pray and they began to pray. And they begin to pray, and they begin to pray. George Otis Jr. says, for over 20 years, tells a story in the first Transformations video of the Sentinel group, George Otis Jr. Pray and pray and pray and pray. And finally, in Almalonga, Guatemala, in the early 90s, the power and the presence of God fell. And a city was changed. And now watch this. He, here's what he calls transformation. After Almalonga, Guatemala, here's what he calls transformation. Now watch this. He says it's a neighborhood, a city, or a region whose values and institutions have been overrun by the grace and the presence of God. What would it look like if Evansville was overrun by the grace and the presence of God? Guys, come on. I know you got this vision. 
Imagine what it would be like for this whole area to be overrun by the grace and the presence of God. Look at this. Divine fire has not only been summoned, that's what you guys are doing, but it has fallen. Therefore, the entire area has been disrupted by the invasive supernatural power of God, and the culture has been impacted undeniably by the full measure of the kingdom of God. That definition was derived after Almalonga, Guatemala, a city of 20,000, got blasted by the power and the presence of God because a group of pastors, a group of churches, just like you guys, got together and said, no, not on our watch. We're going to cry out for our city. We're going to decree and declare that our city is going to come to faith, that the power of God is going to fall on our city. Now, you ready for this? Rhonda told me this. 93% of Almalonga became born again. 93%. Can you imagine what it would look like if 93% of Evansville was born again? Yes, imagine that, because that can take place in the city. I was driving in this morning looking at the city, and he just this thought dawned on me, these guys are going to pull it off. It just that thought came to me. These guys are going to pull this. Just that thought. Just, just a moment. Just Cindy and I were riding with in the, in the car with Marie. And I'm just looking around the city. And it just, these guys are going to pull this off. You guys. They did in, in, in the 90s. They pulled it off for over 10 years. The power and the presence of God fell on this city. Now check this out. No one got drunk. They didn't know what to do with the bars, so they turned them into food pantries. The jails were empty, so they used those for Bible studies. They used those to house people that came so they could begin to educate them and train them. And and God fell on the city. Listen, the the crops, the land, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14, God not only heals, but he heals the land. The crops, the dirt started to get healed. Now listen, I'm not making this up. I have stories on my phone. They begin to grow celery three feet in length. This is as tall as me. (laughs) It's not that funny. Carrots, two and a half feet long. Again, Rhonda traveled. She told Cindy me, she says, Rhonda Huey, I traveled across the United States with a carrot from, from, from Almalonga that was two and a half feet long. So I have, I have pictures on my phone of these farmers holding these great big giant heads of cabbage. And so um, they would come over. They would come over from the United States, and they would ask these 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 farmers who didn't have a high school education, "What do you, what are you guys doing to the soil while we're praying?" I understand that, but what are you doing to the new? Well, we're praying. Well, we get all of that, but man, what? And they'd put them under their microscope and all this stuff. And here's the deal. God supernaturally blessed the dirt because of the cries of pastors like you. And that is the power of the sown word. It doesn't return void. It's just amazing. You can read about the story. In fact, there are several videos now called Transformations through the Sentinel Group. And, and, there's, there's, and, and that was like the first world area. And I think I made mention of this yesterday. There are now over 2,000 world areas, even including the United States, that are experiencing Manchester, Kentucky, uh, 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 hope uh, uh, is, is experiencing transformation. Hazy Hollow. 
There's areas in the United States that are experiencing transformation. And, and so what I'm simply saying is, you guys, you're at the genesis of this thing. And, and I just want to say, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Because you guys are relentless. I've been here several, this is like the fifth time I've been here. And you guys are just relentless, man. You are just relentless. You, you guys don't know any better. You haven't, you haven't been told that this is going to be a challenge. You guys are just like, we're, we're going to take our city for God. We're going to transform media. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have over 300,000 people discipled and pray for them by name. See, no one's told you any different. And I say, praise God. I'm honored to be in the presence of you guys. I really am. Praise God. Seriously. We'd make the drive. We were tired. We were so tired to get here. But I'm telling you, I I can speak for our team. We'll fly. We'll drive. We'd take a, a canoe to get here in a group of guys and gals that absolutely believe for the impossible and expect it to be a reality. Yeah. Praise God. Because you're sowing the imperishable seed. Isaiah said this years ago. He says, the word will not return void. What you guys are involved in will not return void. It can't. It can't. Okay, so now go, if you would, with that as a backdrop, go to Mark chapter 4. Go to Mark chapter 4. And I, and I want to read this passage and, and then give some backdrop to it and, and then tie this into transformation. So in Mark chapter 4, I want to begin with verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 Ready? Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They become very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves and the sea obey him? Chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of Gerasenes. Okay, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 35. Look how this begins. That little phrase, on that day, is so significant. On that day. On what day? Well, it was a day in which Jesus had spent talking about sowing seed, sowing the imperishable seed. He tells three stories about seed sowing. And the first story he kind of unfolds, starting in verse 14, the sower sows what? The word. 
The sower sows the word. Now, we just said the word is imperishable. We just said the word is living and enduring. We just said that the word will never return void. This is the power of the sown word. So Jesus says, now, think about the receptivity of that. And then he talks about various hearts that have the various kinds of receptivity to the sown word. But the heart that he emphasizes is verse 20. Those are the ones whom the seed was sown on good soil. And look at this. They hear, and they accept, and then they bear 30, 60, and 100-fold. And, and just sort of a side note, my humble opinion on this verse here, I don't think Jesus was comparing three different people. I really don't. I hear people teach sometimes, you know, there's those that bear 30, and then there's those who bear 60, and then there's those who bear 100. I don't, I don't, that doesn't make sense. My grandfather was a farmer, and never one time did he sow and plant, and he say, hey, I want that field over there just to be a 30. Then I want that one to be 60. Now I want that one to be 100. I think what Jesus was saying is, is that if we'll mature in the receptivity of the sown word into our heart and steward it like I talked about yesterday, that word in every one of us can become 30 and then 60 and eventually 100-fold. I believe you guys have the capacity as you mature in the receiving of the word to be 100-fold crop bearers. I really do. Now, I'm not just blowing steam in the air, but I truly believe if you steward what's been sown into you and you don't relent, you don't, you don't quit, you don't shrink back, if you will steward what's being sown into you, which I believe you are, you guys are going to be a hundredfold crop bearers. It's the power of the word sown into receptive hearts. That's the first story he tells. Second story he tells, the gist of it, verse 26 is the fact that the kingdom is like this. The soil produces crops, verse 28. The soil produces crops. Whatever's sown into the soil, the crop is going to produce that. If you sow corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow wheat, you're going to get wheat. If you sow beans, you're going to get beans. If you sow peas, you're going to get peas. If you sow a kingdom seed, you're going to get a kingdom harvest. Because the... The soil produces the crop. What you sow is what you're going to reap. <laughs> That's the second story. And then he tells the third story. I love this one, verse 30. He said, how are we going to picture the kingdom here? And then all of a sudden he says, here it is, guys. Verse 31, he says, it's a, it's a mustard seed. That, that's what it's like in the kingdom. He says, when you sow... He says, you sow, and it's like a mustard seed. It's just this, it's just this little seed. It just, it's just, man, it's, and we have a mustard seed. Cindy has one on a necklace. It's just this little seed. It's just, it's small. It's just a, it's a small beginning. It's, it's, it's embryonic, if you will. It's just a small deposit. But he says, here's the deal with that mustard seed. This is the kingdom reality that when that thing is sown, verse 32, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the garden plants and forms these large branches so that what happens? Birds of the air 
start to come and they find shade in the foliage of the produce of that little seed. And the idea is, is what you guys sow becomes large to eventually there'll be people that will come from the east, the south, and the north, and the west, and they're going to find shade under the fruit of what you guys have sown that started off so small. There's going to be this massive harvest. That's the idea in the kingdom. That's the word you guys are sowing. See, that's, that's what you guys are messing with. You are sowing. You are sowing seed that has the capacity to bring about transformation. You are sowing seed that has the capacity to literally produce an area that is overrun by the grace and the presence of God. Every one of you. Now, on that day, Verse 35, on that day, on that day. In other words, after Jesus got done talking about three stories of sowing seed, it was on that day. He says, okay, guys, are you ready? On that day, he says, come on, man, let's activate this. On that day, he says, okay, we've talked about sowing seed. Let's go do it. On that day, he said, come on, let's go to the other side. The moment Jesus said that, I could just see the oxygen leaving the lungs of the disciples. Why? Because they've been in Capernaum. They've been in familiar country. They've been in a place that had synagogues on every corner. They've been in a place that's by and large been fairly receptive. But here's the deal. The moment Jesus said, let's go to the other side, they knew what was on the other side. No, I'm talking to the choir, Cindy said today, but you guys understand this. You guys are going to have to go to the other side. (laughs) You can't hide out in here. You know that. You can't just, this is not just a safe little haven. I mean, I love this. This is fun, but we're going to have to go to the other side. We're going to have to go to the other side, man. Following Jesus is never comfortable. Following Jesus always pushes us out of the comfort zone. Following Jesus always means we've got to move from where we are, the familiar surroundings of what we've become accustomed to, and we've got to go into territory that may not always look like we are used to. Do you understand? Oh, It's time to go to the other side. And these disciples, oh boy, wow. What was on the other side? Gerasenes. Now there's some debate on the various names and what all that is, because Matthew has a different name for it. But but just suffice to say for our purposes today, the area is called Gerasa. Gerasenes. Gerasa was the name. Gerasa, 150 years prior to this moment, was overrun by Rome. You know, first century Rome was reaching out and engulfing everything into its, you know, empire. It's just, this umbrella of Rome was just reaching out. Well, Gerasol was the area of, of Decapolis, Decapolis being a number for 10, 10 cities. And it was an area that was heavily influenced with, with, the, with the Hellenistic culture, and, and Rome had reached in there. In fact, there's some <clears throat> scholars that, that tell the, the history that, that they sent legions, legions. Legions is an is a army of soldiers. They sent legions in there to literally besiege these cities. 
And you understand that when Rome would go into cities, they besieged them because the idea was they wanted to indigenize them. What that simply means is they wanted to make the cities look exactly like Rome. So they go into Decapolis, they indigenize it. And so here's this culture, here's this, this whole area that is overrun with all of this. And Jesus says, we're going to the other side. Now when they get to the other side, Scripture says that Jesus is immediately met with a guy with an unclean spirit. And look at verse 3. Chapter 5, verse 3 says, he was dwelling among the tombs. The word dwelling would be the idea of abode. That was his abode. That, that, that was what he was used to. That, that was this guy's surroundings. He, he lived amongst death. He lived in the tombs. He, he lived under that oppression. He lived there. He dwelled there. That was his abode. Please understand that your garrison is filled with people who dwell in oppression, who dwell amongst death, who dwell amongst this kind of a despair. That's all they know. There's people in this city. You know it. We know it. They're dwelling in death. And that's what Jesus has met, see? I mean, no sooner than gets his sandals on the soil... And this dude comes out from the tombs and, and confronts Jesus. And this guy has been dwelling in the tombs, dwelling in this death, dwelling in this mess. Scripture says this, that he couldn't be bound with shackles and chains. He tore those apart and no one could subdue him. And this is sobering. Look at verse 5. Night and day, screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, Gashing himself with stones. I did a word study on all of that, and, and just here's the idea. The guy was so demonically driven that he was cutting himself. Does that not describe people in our culture that are so twisted in their thinking, that are so, so under oppression? So, so beat down, they find no way out of it that the only way they can find any kind of relief is to sit in some dark corner somewhere and to cut themselves. That's a picture of what this guy is doing. Listen, that's a picture of people all over this community that are so oppressed by the enemy, that are so beat down by death and despair that all they can do is sit night and day and scream and cut themselves. That's a picture of Garissa. That's a picture of the communities that we're trying to reach. That's the picture of the communities that you and I are sowing the imperishable seed in, a city that is overrun by demonic oppression where people scream night and day and gash themselves. That represented where Jesus was going. That represented the other side. That represented the territory that Jesus wanted to bring transformation in. And, and by the way, the moment Jesus said, go to the other side, I was thinking about this last night, reminds me a lot of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, oh, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Do you ever notice where Jesus builds his church? It wouldn't be where I'd build it. Jesus builds his church in some of the most broken down, beat up places, places of oppression, places. That's where you're going to put your church? Yeah. Because when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, that's an act of war. 
He is declaring war. And he wants to take you guys and establish a church in Evansville. And that is an act of war against the principalities of darkness. Anyway, here's what I love about this. All these demons on this guy. In fact, when Jesus said, come out, um, Luke indicates that he was instantly seized. Because Jesus asked, what is your name? And he was instantly seized. And, and this is my humble opinion, again, on this passage. I don't think Jesus was asking the demons their name. Because I don't think Jesus values demons. I think he was asking the man his name. And he was seized by the enemy. According to Luke, he was instantly seized. And I think in that moment, the demons seized him, and then they spoke. <clears throat> anyway, the demons, they, they literally spoke, and they said, we are legion. I am legion. And you know what legion is. Again, that's a Roman numeral for 6,000. So here's 6,000 demons oppressing this guy. 6,000 demons. How interesting a Roman legion, 6,000, could be how many soldiers were dispatched in that area. Isn't that interesting? 6,000 demons represented the oppression that was in Garissa. And here's a guy that had 6,000 demons, but I want you to see this. 6,000 demons on this guy, and he still ran and bowed before Jesus. Why? Because what Jesus carried was greater than the bondage that was on that guy. Pastors, listen to me. Guys, gals, listen to me. Please be assured that who you carry is much greater than the bondage of people that are around you. Every time you walk into this community, every time you adorn a store, every time you walk into a restaurant, every time you walk down a city street, please understand that who you carry, who you host is much greater than the bondage that is on people around you. This guy ran with 6,000 demons all over him and fell at Jesus' feet because he realized Jesus carried something. I love this because Jesus then takes the guy through the one-step program. Now watch. He casts 6,000 demons into 2,000 pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff and drown. I've often wondered why pigs. People have said, well, because he was in, you know, territory that... They could have pigs. It wasn't Jewish territory. <clears throat> now check this out. I was doing some research on this just a couple of months ago. The mascot for a Roman legion was a boar. I think Jesus was trying to say something. When I come into a territory to establish my church, there's no demonic power <clears throat> that is greater than my father. There's no greater power than the kingdom that I'm sowing. I think, I think when the boar, I think when the pigs were filled with the demons, they rushed off the cliff and drowned. It was like Jesus was saying, <clears throat> Rome may think they're a militant power, but I represent a power that's much greater than what Rome is. You guys carry that. You carry that, man. Now, this is fascinating to me. 
Look at verse 15. Verse 14 says, The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. I mean, I can't imagine a herd of 6,000 pigs running off of a cliff. That would be six or 2,000 pigs, rather, running off of a cliff. Imagine that. That, that'd, be, that'd be a stampede. I mean, there'd be a cloud of dust. I mean, it, it would just sort of rattle the ground as all these pigs. I mean, what a scene to see. And just see them just go, take swan dives. Foo, foo, foo. And so the people go back into the city, and they, they tell everyone, right? And verse 15 says, they came to Jesus and observed the man. They observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. And then it says, then they became frightened. Isn't that humorous to you? He's clothed and in his right mind, and then they become frightened. It's like as long as he was up there in the tomb screaming and naked and, and, and carrying on, they weren't scared. Oh, that's just old Joe. But the moment he gets delivered, now they're frightful. That says something to me. It says that we become so accustomed to people in their darkness, people in their despair, people in their bondage. We become so used to that. That's just the way they live. That's just the way that community is. That's just the way that couple is. That's just the way that family is. That's just the way that is. And we become so used to, to, to death and despair that truly if revival and transformation occurs and people get set free, it may freak some people out. I mean, that's why people denigrate the power of God that, that brings miracles in churches. There's people that haven't seen it for so many years that they denigrate and criticize the very thing that brings deliverance to people, man, because they haven't seen it for so long. And so out of their fear, look at this, verse 17 they implore. Now underline that word implore. It's used frequently in Mark's gospel. They implore. It means to beg. They're literally pleading with, imploring Jesus, please leave this region. <laughs> One guy. Leave this region. They're imploring with him. Jesus, you gotta go. Now, I can imagine the disciples. If I'd been the disciples, I would have been so, so ticked off. I would have said, this, this isn't even right, man. I've got my table set up there with my CDs and all my books and everything. We came all the way over here. We set up. We got ready for a crusade. We got ready, man, for, for, for a, a week-long worship time. And, and, and after one convert, we're asked to leave after one convert, we got to get out of Dodge. After one convert, the meeting is over. Oh, my word. See how we think. My goodness, only one guy. All of this effort of coming over here, and that's it. And the guy wants to travel with Jesus. This guy who gets delivered is saying, hey, man, I... I want to travel with you, Jesus. Now, at least 
he should have let them go. At least the disciples would have had one more in their lot. I mean, after all, Judas was demon-possessed, so at least they would have had a good guy on the team. And Jesus won't let him. Jesus won't let him. Look at this. Verse 19, Jesus says, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And look at verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis. What's Decapolis? Ten cities. He began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Now that's it. That's where the story ends. Or does it? Because see, if we're not thinking from a kingdom perspective, if you and I don't realize what we're sowing, if we lose sight of the fact that we're literally taking the imperishable seed and putting it into people, then what's going to happen is, is we're going to give in to what Cindy said, despair, and we're going to say, well, see, man, we prayed, we cried out, we went after it, we had this big crusade, we, we, we blew the shafar, we all screamed and everything, but nothing really happened. One guy kind of got excited. That was it. Are you serious? All the effort we're going through, and the enemy is going to do everything to get into your heads and play mind games and try to, try to discourage you guys. And, and after we're all gone and the music fades and everything's gone, he's going to get you into the dark corner and the enemy is going to say, what are you doing all of this for? It isn't making a difference. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Time period would be six months later. Six months later, are you ready? Look at verse 31, Mark 7, verse 31. Roughly, roughly six months later. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Look at verse 32. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him, there's that word, they implored him to lay hands on him. Six months later, they're imploring him to leave. Now they're saying, man, dude, come on, can you lay hands on this guy? Six months later, and Jesus actually has to take the guy off by himself because there's a crowd. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, in those days... When there was again a large crowd, Jesus now feeds 4,000 people. Wait a minute. This was the very territory that he was asked to leave. They didn't want him around. Oh, I know, but you understand, Jesus, you understand. They sowed the imperishable seed into one guy. One guy got touched with the word. One guy got changed by the word that's transformational. One guy had the word of God put into his heart, man. And he went back into Decapolis, and he started spreading that seed, telling everybody about this Jesus, man. And in six months, there's about 4,000 people in that region that are crowding around Jesus and say, we want to hear about this seed that you've been sowing, gang. Come on. That's what you guys are involved in. That's what you're involved in, man. 
It may not look like much, but it's like the mustard seed that you guys are sowing, man. You're sowing a seed that may not look like much, and the enemy will say, well, you put all the effort and money into that, man. Didn't do much, did it? Give that time, that seed time to germinate. That mustard seed will become massive in the realm of the kingdom. Did you see what I'm saying? Keep a kingdom perspective. The enemy will always try to entice us to look at things from the earthly realm. Look at them from the kingdom realm. You see what I'm saying? Come on, man, from, a, from an earthly perspective, we don't have much. But from a kingdom perspective, we're wealthy. We're blessed. Right? Now, I want to give you four things. Four things. I, I was thinking about this. City taking declarations. Four things. I had my brother put them on the screen because I want you to get these. This is what I want to leave you here today. I want to give you four directives. All right? Ready to go? One at a time. Here we go. Number one. First thing that I want to give you guys here. This is contextual. I got up this morning and I felt like this is what this is what God wanted me to give you. Number one, be willing to go to the hard places. There's got to be there's got to be a group of guys and gals that says, "On this rock, He's going to build His church." On this rock, be willing to go to the hard places. Go to the garrison. Go to the places that you know it's. It's, listen, it's easy to do church week after week and, and have people come and fill the arena and, and sing songs and great things happen within here. I, I know, as a pastor for 30 years, it's easy to do great Sunday morning services. But that's not really the call for us as guys and gals, is it? Our call is not to do good services in a building. Our call is to go to the hard places, Right? Come on, that's our call. You guys know that. You guys have a garrison. It's called Evansville. Go to the hard places. Number two, keep sowing seed. Don't quit, Chet. Don't quit. Don't quit. Jay, don't quit. Don't quit. Jeff, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit, dude. Don't quit, sister. Don't quit. You can't quit sowing seed. Dan said last night, over 1,600 pastors quit every month because of discouragement. It's the end time strategy of the enemy to weary the saints, and weariness comes out of a sense of discouragement and despair. And you know what that's rooted in? I'm not making a difference. And I'm here to tell you, you are making a difference. Keep sowing seed. Don't you stop. Don't you relent. Don't you back up. Don't you shrink back. Keep sowing seed. Let me show you this real quick. Just keep that on the side screen. You guys are familiar with this, but, but look at this real quick. Just look at it with me. Go to Galatians chapter 6. You know this. Look at verse 8. Galatians 6 verse 8. Ready? 
Galatians 6, verse 8, guys, look at this. For the one who sows to his own flesh, well, from his flesh, he'll reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit. What's it mean to sow to the Spirit? Well, if you sow to the Spirit, you do what's kingdom-oriented. Sometimes we don't feel like it in the flesh. Sometimes it's like, ah, man... And discouragement can rise up. And if we're not careful, we'll sow to our discouragement. We'll sow to our flesh. I don't feel like it. And so we don't, we don't sow. But no, as kingdom-oriented people, even though we don't feel like it, we sow to the spirit. We, we're not sowing to feelings. We're not sowing to emotion. We're sowing in faith, believing, hey, man, this is to the spirit. This, so we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep sowing. We're going to keep... You're just going to keep believing. We're, we're, going to, we're going to pray for our homes. We're going to pray for our families. We're going to pray for our kids. We're going to pray for our churches. We're going to pray for these 300,000 people in this community. We're going to pray for people under bridges. We're going to pray for people that are in places of despair. We're just going to keep sowing to the Spirit. Paul says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary, keep sowing seed because the kingdom principle is, listen, you guys are going to reap. I know we're in a, a sanctuary with, with a handful of people. I understand that. And it's not about numbers. You understand. It's not about numbers. It's always about influence. But my point being is keep sowing. Because I honestly believe there will be a day we'll come back to Evansville and we'll be scrambling for a place to meet because there'll be so many people that have come to faith, man, and we won't know where to put them all. Right? Imagine doing a, a conference with 25,000 people. That's nothing, but I'm just throwing that out there. It's not prophetic. Just imagine coming 25,000 people and hearing the stories of, oh, man, this dude, whew, he was talking about oh, the imperishable words, see? Keep sowing seed. Don't quit, guys. Don't quit. Number three, trust the word more than immediate results. Boy, this is huge. Trust the word. You ever pray for someone and don't see anything? You're up against something or a situation, maybe, maybe a marriage, maybe a financial situation, maybe a healing, maybe something. And you pray and you release the word with such boldness and faith, but you don't see anything. And the enemy comes along. You know how it is. Come on comes along and says, what a waste. What a waste. You think your prayers matter? Or how about this one? Well, if you were really as spiritual as Dan Ketchum, and it's, it starts the game of comparison. You guys ever compare? I do. The enemy sometimes gets me looking over the fence, and then God comes along and says, hey, you don't have to be like them. I called you to be like you. Dan talks about staying in your lane, man. That's who you are. God created you to be you. But see, the enemy comes along, well, maybe if, or maybe you should have, or woulda, coulda, shoulda, all of that stuff, man. And here's what I'm saying. Trust the word. Trust the word. 
Trust the word because it will not return void. And here's the last thing I want to give you. Don't lose faith in the midst of the conflict. Why? Because I'm going to tell you something. The storm is coming. I'm not prophesying over you. I'm telling you how I know the works of the enemy. I'm not ignorant of his schemes. Did you note in the story in Mark chapter 4, the storm came against them? Did, did you note how the, the storm, and it wasn't a natural storm. It was this demonic whirlwind. Scholars have read this thing and teased this thing out. It was a demonic whirlwind. It was a preemptive strike to come against Jesus and his disciples from going to the other side. Do you think the enemy wanted Jesus in his territory? Write this verse down. Just write this down. You're taking notes. Write this down. Chapter 5. Just write this down. Let me, let me, let me get to it. Just write this down. You can study it on your own. Mark 5, verse 10. Just write that down. Mark 5, verse 10. Here's the reason why. You know what the enemy was saying to Jesus? Don't throw us out of the country. Don't throw us out of the region. Why is that significant? Because the enemy does not want to give up territory. The enemy doesn't care about people. The enemy does, the, all the enemy does is use people to gain access to territory. So the enemy didn't want to leave the territory. So here comes Jesus to Gerasa. Here comes Jesus into that area with the imperishable seed. You don't think the enemy looks at you and says, oh my gosh, here's a group of guys and gals that just won't quit. And now they're coming into my territory. Because right now, the enemy has territory in Evansville. Right now, the enemy has pockets and, 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 and citadels. Right now, the enemy has areas that, that are overrun by demonic oppression. But here comes you guys. Here comes you guys with the imperishable seed, man. Here comes you guys with faith in your belly, man. Here comes you guys saying, oh no, not on my watch. We're going to pray. We're going to sow. We're going to, and the enemy sees that man. You think he's going to sit by and let you take back territory from him? No, he's going to launch a storm, man. He's going to launch conflict, the pink slip, the boss, the people, the conflict. There's going to be storms, man. Come on. We know that. I looked at this storm, and it says, it says the waves were, were, were beating and, and literally breaking over the boat. Water is filling the vessel. Can you imagine maybe 30 feet, maybe 30? Daniel could tell you probably what the fishing boat size was. Maybe 30, possibly 40 feet at best. And this thing is being tossed and turned and disheveled and beat up with the wind and the waves, filling with water. And in the midst of that... Jesus is asleep. Why? Here it is. Don't miss it. Because the word was, we're gone to the other side. <laughs> and Jesus was able to put more confidence in the decreed word out of heaven than the agitated conflict of the enemy. He rested. Now, the implication here is that the disciples were not resting. The implication is, is they're, they're a little freaked out. 
I can just, in my mind, see them screaming at each other, you know, grabbing their stuff and everything. Then they come up with the idea, someone's got to wake Jesus. Because isn't it interesting that Jesus never was awakened by the devil's antics, but awakened by fear-driven disciples? Two chapters before this, Jesus gave them power over demons. And so when he woke, he calmed the storm, but then he looked at him and he said this. He says, guys, where's your faith? What's the point? I equipped you. I equipped you, man. Speak to the conflict. Don't lose your faith. You've heard our story with Cindy. 12 years ago, this very month, she was diagnosed. But it's been 12 years, almost 12 years, she's been walking in healing. But that year that we walked through cancer, we had to speak faith. To speak faith. Those were dark nights. And it didn't look good. But we just, there's my little wife emaciated from the chemo and no hair with a little hat on standing there with her arm up in the air declaring faith. Why? Because we don't trust in earthly circumstances. We are a people of faith to put our eyes on another realm. We fix our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We don't look this way. We look at him. That's faith, guys. I'm not speaking over you, but I'm just saying the storms are coming. Some of you are in it now. The storms are coming. If you're going to take this city, the storms are coming. Don't lose your faith in the midst of the conflict. Speak into that storm and say, absolutely not. This will not take me down. Why? Because I'm going to the other side. Amen. I want to pray for you guys. And I felt on the way in here, I wanted to pray, first of all, for pastors. I want you guys, I want you to, I want you to come up here real quick, just the pastors. Come up here real quick, just pastors. Just stand across the front here. That's fine. You can turn around and face the people. I love that. It's very good. Come on up here, guys. First thing I want to say is we honor you guys and cows. Don't we? Guys, we honor you. Come on. Come on. Yeah. You are the real deal. You are city takers. You are people. They're going to pay the price on those four things. You are the people that are going to do it and have been doing it. And I want to pray. I want us to pray. Can we do that? I want us to pray. I want us to pray into you and for you. And would it be okay if you guys come and just, just lay hands on different ones as the Lord leads you? Just come on up here. Come on, guys. Come on. Just You can go down the row, whatever you want to do. But come, church, come. Father, today, first of all, we thank you, God, for these city takers Come on, God, we thank you, God, for, 
for every man, for every woman that just says, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to relent. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to dial it down. I'm not going to change the agenda. I'm not going to change what I've been called to do. God's called me. God's called us as a team. And so, God, I thank you, God, for these city takers. I I thank you, oh God, for for their, their heart of faith. I thank you, oh God, that they have in their heart, God, this determination. They will not shrink back. They will not. They have within them, God, that fervor, that fire, God, that was put in there. And, and God, this faith to believe that if they keep crying out for this city and keep crying out, God, for Evansville, that, God, there's going to be transformation. And, and God, there'll be one day when over 300,000 people will be discipled, oh, God. That's in their belly. That's in their heart, God. That's the faith that they possess. So, God, we're praying that they will stay the course. They will not lose faith in the conflict. They will not, God, shrink back, God. They will not dial it down, Father. They will not quit, oh God. They will not give in to discouragement, Jesus. They will not buy into the lies of the enemy, God. They will not agree, oh God, with what the enemy says in the midnight hour, that that doesn't matter. What you're doing isn't going to amount to anything, God. We say in Jesus' name, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, God. And God, we are in Christ Jesus more than conquerors. So I pray, God, every one of these guys and gals, God, produce in them, God, a spirit of tenacity, O God, a faithfulness, God, that just keeps pressing in, O God. Raise up, O God, these apostolic leaders. Raise them up, God, to unite with each other. And then bring other pastors and leaders, God, into this this fold. Bring them in, O God, to where, God, there could be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 pastors, God, that unite together in Jesus' name. Bring them together, O God. But Father, I pray, make them impervious. Get them to the other side. Take them into Gerasa. Take them, God, into the hard places and let them sow the seed. Sow the word, God. Sow the word. Sow the word. I say to you guys, you will, you will see transformation in Evansville. You will see transformation in your communities. The presence and the glory of God is going to overrun this community. Tens of thousands are going to be born again, are going to be brought to faith. Marriages are going to be rescued. Babies will not be aborted because you guys are on the wall. You guys are crying out. I thank you, oh God. I thank you for this territory. I thank you for these guys and gals. I'm humbled. I'm just absolutely overwhelmed by this group here. And now, could, could we just all just just maybe put your hands on somebody around you, beside you, close you, you're there. And this right now, this will be the last thing. And then we go, oh God, just pray a spirit of tenacity. We're going to take our city. Come on, just pray over each other. Go for it. Come on, go for it. Now, Father, just bind us together in a spirit of unity, oh God. Come on, God.